While you're getting settled there, pull out your Bible. Last Sunday, we launched back into Romans, Romans chapter 8. It's going to take us five more weeks to get through Romans 8. And so I'm excited about what the Lord's going to share this morning. If you don't have a Bible, um, raise your hand and ushers are coming down the aisle. We'd love for you to take that Bible as a gift, but open your Bible to Romans 8. And I'm, I'm really excited. I get to share with you an amazing story of salvation that happened in our church this past week. And this story begins last Sunday, right after the 11 o'clock service. I finished the sermon, no condemnation in Christ. I'm standing over there, and this woman walks over with some of the friends that had invited her to church, and she walked up, and she had an extremely intense look on her face. And she was like, I have so many questions for you. And she was like, I am so disturbed by the idea that there's no condemnation for someone just because they're in Christ. She was like, this has rocked my world. This woman's not a Christian. She actually is from another country. She's here visiting her family. She's, she would plan to fly home in just a couple days and she, she, she told me that just disturbs me. She said, what, what protection is there in that from a person then just going out and committing all sorts of evil and wickedness? She was like, this disturbs me, Pastor. And she was like, that's just my first question. I have 10 more after you answer that one. <laughs> I was like, you should come in and set up a meeting with us. She, told, she came in, she set up a meeting. She met with Pastor Christopher and some of her friends two times. Each meeting took three hours. She told us that on Sunday night, she couldn't sleep all night. No condemnation in Christ was rattling around in her head and in her heart. Maybe it was for you too. She changed her flight so she could stay for one more Sunday to see what was going to happen next. And I Aren't I glad that that happened? Because on Friday afternoon, she prayed to receive Christ with Pastor Christopher. So she'll come to church this morning at 11 a.m. as a follower of Jesus. How cool is that? How cool is that? But I have a question for you. What's the answer to her question? That is a radical claim. Because you're thinking, Pastor, you, you told us last Sunday that the Apostle Paul said, here's the deal, folks. There is no condemnation for a person who's in Christ Jesus. How can that possibly be? And how could that not possibly lead to all sorts of licentiousness, which is just a fancy word of saying, just doing whatever the heck you want for the rest of your life? Here's the answer. Because Paul said, there's no condemnation for who? For those who are in Christ. And here's the thing, my friends. When Paul says that you're in Christ, do you know what he also means? He means Christ is in you. He moves in. He takes up residence he begins to take over. Do you remember when the Apostle Paul said, Galatians 2, Paul said, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. So the life I now live in this body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me. It's an amazing thought. 
I have a headline I want to share with you this morning that's going to be the driving truth of everything we're going to talk about. You might want to write this down. I, want, I think every Christian needs to understand this statement, and the statement is this. Christian living is essentially supernatural living. It's supernatural. And what I mean by that is, as you begin the Christian life, and as you begin to go on your journey following Jesus powers start going to work at you that are not natural. They're above natural. They're super natural. You're not doing your life anymore alone. Someone's there guiding, empowering, directing, changing you. I once heard a pastor say, I don't want my life to be explainable without the Holy Spirit. It's a good statement, isn't it? Have you ever thought that? I don't want my life to be explainable without the Holy Spirit. I love that statement. But there's one problem with that statement, and the problem is this. You could, you could conclude from that that you can live the Christian life, and you could live the kind of Christian life that is explainable without the Holy Spirit. But see, what Paul's going to argue is there's no such thing as the Christian life without the Holy Spirit. Every Christian life should be unexplainable without the Holy Spirit. And that's what Paul's gonna to turn to next. Now, when we last left Paul there in verse four, you wanna look at it, he was in mid-thought. So you remember last Sunday I told you that Paul has been saying no condemnation, and why is that? Because God has sent his son to die in our place for our sins. And Paul says, well, why would God do all that? And in verse four he says, in order that the righteous requirements of the law would be fulfilled in you who, and then Paul starts this idea of those who walk, not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. So Paul starts to talk about this concept of the Christian walk. Do you remember this last Sunday? And I told you, think about your life as a journey. You're sort of on a walk with Christ. That's a great way to think about your life. And Paul realizes, he says, now what I need to do is I need to explain what I actually mean by that kind of a walk. What does it mean to walk by the Spirit versus walking according to the flesh, which is the great contrast that he makes? And Paul continues his thoughts in the text we're going to look at this morning. It's verses 5 through 11. I'll read it, and then I'll make a couple of observations. Here's what Paul says next. He's talking about this walk, not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit, end of verse 4. Here's verse 5. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh— but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that's set on the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it can't. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, you're not in the flesh. But in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead 
will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. That is an amazing, isn't that an amazing? We have so much to talk about, okay, right now. But here's what I wanna do first. Did you notice those last three verses, just look at nine through 11. Did you notice the repetition of the word dwell? You see that? Paul goes out of his way. Here's what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the spirit of Christ dwelling in you. That's what it means to be a Christian. The spirit of Christ, Christ moves in and you become indwelt by his Holy Spirit. He says it in verse nine. Do you see this? You, however, not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If in fact, the spirit of God dwells in you. And then Paul says, and just in case you didn't get what I just said, he repeats it twice in verse 11. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Will you dwell with me for a moment on the word dwell? This is an amazing word, dwell. This word comes from the Greek word for house. It's the verbal form of house. It means to live in a house. That's what Paul's describing here. A permanent dwelling. You become the permanent dwelling. Dwelling is more than just someone stopping by. That's what my mother-in-law does, okay? That's not what's happening here, all right? Dwelling is not what you do in a hotel. That's a vacation. Dwelling is not what you do in a tent. That's what we call shivering and suffering, all right? <laughs> my wife told me a couple years ago, she's got, I've got a new philosophy. I don't know if I'm gonna go tent camping with you anymore. She said, if I ever sleep outside of my own house, the bed needs to be nicer than the one in my own bedroom. And I was like, okay, that's never gonna happen in a tent, my dear. All right? Dwelling is what you do in your home. What makes a home a home is that you feel at home there. And this is the radical claim of Christianity. And this is the radical claim of Romans 8. Paul is saying, when you become a Christian, the Holy Spirit of Christ moves in. And he's not just there temporarily. He's not just camping. He's not on vacation. He's moved in. He's a permanent resident. Think nearness. Think familiarity. He knows the ins and outs of your life, your heart, all of the deep things. He's there. He knows them. You know, when you say to somebody, hey, make yourself at home here. What do you mean by that? It's like, my house is, kick up your feet, go to the refrigerator. Like, you are, make yourself at home in my house. Okay, so this point became so clear to me over the last month or so. Um, we've had so many people from the church make meals for us, come over. My wife is in a fight with cancer. I announced this a couple weeks ago, but if you weren't there, Kathy has stage three colorectal cancer. She's been in treatment, radiation, chemo. I'll tell you a little bit more about that later on. But what's been incredible about this journey is the outpouring of love from the church. I mean, it's been unbelievable. 
People have made meals. People are praying. But the really radical thing is some of you have even come over and just made yourself at home in my house. And we have, Kathy has close friends who've said, I will clean your house. I'll clean out your refrigerator. Can I tell you something? A lot of things are easy for me to accept. You want to make me a great meal? Awesome. But when people start cleaning my house, there's something about that that just feels a little weird. Okay? It's like, Someone's cleaning my bathroom, okay? One of Kathy's friends a couple weeks ago was folding my laundry. No one's folded my laundry since I was eight years old, all right? It's a little weird. They're just like at home in my house. And here's the point of that. Paul's saying, when you think about the Holy Spirit dwelling in your life, that's what you need to think of. Intimacy, familiarity, you Friends, savoring it. This is not just a, like a, a really neat Bible idea. This is a statement about your spiritual life. He's there. He's near. He's guiding you. He loves you. He, he's, he's, he's cleaning up your house. It's an astounding promise. And not only that, this is the key to understanding the Christian life. You have a new sway. You have a new power. You have a new influence over your every thought, your every desire, your every action, your every word. And here's the thing. It's not just an influence from the outside. This is what makes Christianity so unique. The Holy Spirit does not influence you from the outside. Don't think of the Holy Spirit outside of you, barking commands at you, do this, do that. You can't do it. What he does is he invades your life in grace and love. And he begins to change, changing your affections, changing your desires, changing your focus. Go back to verse four with the walk. There you are, you're on, you're on the Christian walk. And some of us might think, the Holy Spirit's way out in front of me and I'm just rushing to keep up with him, but that's not where he is. And it's not just that he's right beside you, encouraging you on. He's moved in, he's taken over, and he's trying to influence your every step, your every thought, your every action. This is an incredible claim, an incredible claim. Now the entire passage that I just read is built on one massive transition between that reality and the opposite reality, which is being in the flesh. Do you see that verse five? The whole thing is just a massive contrast. Paul's saying, I need you to realize there's only two realities in this world. There's being indwelt by the Holy Spirit and there's not being indwelt by the Holy Spirit. And everything hangs on the difference between those two things. So what I wanna do this morning is I wanna just very briefly, I want to share three observations about this passage to help you get what Paul's doing. And then I'm going to share something really, really practical, something you can do. Here is observation number one. I'm going to put this on the screen so you can sort of wrestle with this a little bit. You can know that the Spirit has moved in if you find yourself preoccupied with the things that he's preoccupied with. That's one of the ways you could know. I'm finding that I'm preoccupied with the things the Holy Spirit's preoccupied. Now, where am I getting that? I'm getting that from Paul's 
intentional use of the word set your minds. Did you notice that? Look at verse five. He goes out of his way to say, there's something that happens in your, in your internal life when you're in the spirit. It changes what you think about. I chose the word preoccupied. I think it's a great way to translate set your minds. Verse five, for those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the spirit set their minds on the things of the spirit. Something happens in your mindset. In fact, mindset is a great way to translate this, but I'm, I'm talking about like, I, I chose the word being preoccupied. What I wanna do is I wanna actually put up the literal translation of verse five so you can sort of see what Paul's doing. This would be like a really wooden way that it's, it's this is actually what it looks like in the Greek. It says, for those being according to the spirit, mind the things of the spirit, but those being, uh, excuse me, according to the flesh, but those being according to the spirit, mind the things of the spirit. See what Paul's doing there? He's saying, whatever's most true about your fundamental identity, it begins to shape what you fixate on. And it goes in that order. So, if I become a person filled with the Spirit, one of the ways I can know that's true is suddenly I become fixated. I become, pre my mind is just transformed. But it happens because I've already been filled with the Spirit. So Paul's not saying here, he's saying, here's the thing, you better start pre getting preoccupied with the Spirit. And then if you get preoccupied with the Spirit, you'll get filled with the Spirit. That will never work. It's the other way around. You can't think your way into being spirit-filled. It's the other direction. And the reason I'm saying that is because right now, I know it's human nature. Some of you are going, oh my gosh, I better get fixated on the Holy Spirit. I better get preoccupied. I better start thinking as much as I can about the Holy Spirit. Don't do that right now. Just stop doing that for just a minute. That's never gonna work. That's not gonna fix the problem. In a minute, I'll tell you a couple things to do, but right now, what I want you to know is it's the other way around. You will become fixated on the Spirit as He fills your heart and your life, okay? That word mind, if you wanna put that back up, when, when we use the word mind as a verb to mind something, it has a stronger meaning than simply to think about something. This word means to focus so intently that we're like, preoccupied with it. This is a description of what happens to me when the soccer game is on, okay? I'm like, my wife is like, hello, anybody home? I'm like totally focused. We're talking about to be preoccupied means all of your attention, all of your imagination, all of your affections are captivated in that moment. All of your dreams, what you care about, what you're living for, your future, your present, the whole thing is preoccupied by the Holy Spirit. And so here's the question. And it's probably the question many of you are asking. Well, pastor, what is the Holy Spirit preoccupied with? You're telling me that when I'm in the Spirit, I become fixated with what the Spirit is preoccupied with. So what is he preoccupied with? Well, a couple things. A lot of these are probably pretty obvious to you. Some of them we're gonna to get to in Romans 8. 
I'll give you four, okay? Number one, the Holy Spirit is completely fixated on Jesus. He is fixated on, he wants to bring glory to Christ in every situation. That's one way you could know. Fixated on Christ. You know what else he's totally, totally obsessed with? The church. The Holy Spirit is preoccupied with the beauty of Christ's bride. That's why he pours out spiritual gifts on believers. That's why spirit-filled believers live to serve and edify the church using their spiritual gifts because the Spirit, Holy Spirit's preoccupied with that. He's also preoccupied with you understanding your true identity. So in a, in a couple of Sundays, we're gonna to come to a place in Romans where Paul is gonna say, this, one of the things the Spirit is trying to remind you of all the time is that you are an adopted child of God. And he's just wanting to press that into your heart. You belong to God. God has gone to great lengths to claim you and adopt you. He's fixated on that. And he's also fixated on your formation in Christ. He wants you to become like Jesus. It's the big fancy word we use, the word sanctification or holiness. His number one agenda for your life is that you would go on a journey where you become more and more like Jesus. And so you say, those are the things the Holy Spirit is fixated on. And Paul's saying, I will become fixated on those things as well. I, my mind will be preoccupied with those things. Okay, I'm gonna give you the second observation now because that's not the only thing Paul's doing here. Here is observation number two. There are eternal consequences to what is preoccupying you right now. This matters, not just temporarily. Paul's saying, what Paul's gonna do next in verse six is he's gonna say, okay, yeah, there's two realities in the spirit, not in the spirit, which is what we mean by being in the flesh. And that means there's two mindsets. My mind is fixated on one or the other, but now Paul's gonna say, and not only that, those two ways those two mindsets, they lead in two completely different directions with an eternal outcome. Look at verse six. That's why Paul says, for to set the mind on the flesh is death. But to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. Paul's saying, we're talking about something that really matters here. Paul's saying, I would, be, I would be doing you a disservice if I withheld this or if I lied to you and said, what I'm talking about is completely inconsequential. It is consequential. Long term. Paul says, really wrestle with this because this matters deeply. He says, if you live your life with your mind set on the flesh, that is taking you somewhere. It's taking you to death. And it's definitely a spiritual, eternal death because when he contrasts it, he says, but if you set your mind on the spirit, where is it taking you? Life and what's the second word Paul uses there? It's the word peace. So he's talking about peace with God, being at peace with God, life and peace with God versus hostility towards God. Paul says, this is so important, so important. That's why in verse seven, he says, to set your mind on the things of the flesh means to be hostile to God. And so friends, can we just pause for a minute and let the gravity of that sink in? 
There is literally nothing right now in your life that you could think about that's more important. This moment is so huge because you're probably wondering, where am I? I think I need to know where am I at in this? Am I in the flesh? Have I been filled with the Holy Spirit or am I still in the flesh? I want to know. And so here's what I'm going to do. I want to give you something really, really practical right now. This is what, this is what something that you can do. Okay. So what I did is I put together a little kind of summary of everything the New, the New Testament teaches about what you can do in your relationship with the Holy Spirit. And I made, I made it as a handout. I'm going to put it up and then I'll, I have copies if you want to come get this. That way you don't have to write this down. You can just like live with it for a second. So this is a little summary of what the New Testament teaches about what you can do. So for example, did you know that you can resist the Spirit, you can grieve the Spirit, and you can quench the Spirit? And these are bad, okay? I don't recommend these, all right? Don't do these things. You don't wanna, hey folks, can I tell you something? If the Holy Spirit is stirring you right now, don't resist that. Don't resist him. Is he moving? Is he, is he prompting you? Is he causing you to think about deep spiritual things right now in your life? Don't resist him. Don't grieve him. Don't quench that moment. Respond. And Christian, as you're living your Christian life, there are gonna be moments where you go to work, you go to the coffee shop, you're about ready to have a conversation with someone, you're presented with two choices in your life, and you'll begin to realize the Holy Spirit is speaking to me right now. I'm feeling him prompting me. I sense it very clearly. Can I give you a piece of advice? Don't resist that. Follow his leadership. He is sovereign, good, holy spirit of God. He has a great plan for your life. Amen? Don't resist that. But here's the second slide. Did you know that you can also ask Jesus for the spirit? You can be filled with the spirit. In, in the context in Ephesians, Paul's saying like, he's talking to Christians and he's actually saying there are moments where you can get an extra filling of the Holy Spirit. And you can even ask for it. You're walking into something tough. This is what happens every Sunday morning right over there at 8.59, okay? 8.59, I pray, God, I need an extra filling of your spirit. I don't wanna stand up there in my own power. People don't need that. They don't need a word from me. They need a word from you, spirit of Jesus. You can do that too. And also you can keep in step with the Holy Spirit. You can listen and be sensitive and pray. Spirit, what are you asking me to do today? So can I recommend that to you? This morning, as you're hearing this, are you thinking, today's the day for me. The consequences are eternal. I'm understanding what I'm hearing. I feel the spirit in this place, even in my own heart. Friends, today is the day for you to turn over control of your life to Jesus and begin a relationship with him. I'm gonna pray about that in just a minute. But first, I'm gonna give you one final brief observation from this passage, and it goes like this. The ultimate destiny of your body is not death, okay? It's resurrection. That's where you are headed if you're filled with the Holy Spirit. 
And where I'm getting that is verse 10. Now, when you look at verse 10, what's odd is that suddenly when Paul gets to verse 10, out of nowhere, he brings into his conversation a topic that seems completely out of the blue. He starts talking about our mortality. And the reader's thinking, why are you talking about this, Paul? Verse 10, Paul says, if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. That phrase, although the body is dead, what Paul's referring there to is our mortality. The fact that these bodies that we live in, they're frail and, and they're broken and eventually we're all going to experience physical death. Paul's saying, remember folks that that was not the way God originally designed your body to be. You were designed to live forever. And then when sin entered the world all the way back in Genesis 1, one of the immediate consequences of sin was the reality of death as a part of our experience. But that's actually not the way we were designed. That's why death is scary to us. That's why death feels so foreign. That's why we fear death and hate death and, and, we, and we mourn death. All of those emotions are natural because we all know that something about death feels wrong. And the reader's going, but Paul, you just said that when we're filled with the Holy Spirit, all of these promises of the gospel are coming to, to pass. How is it that my frail human body is still gonna die then? And Paul says, because we're waiting in that in-between stage, we're looking forward to that moment when God will give us new resurrection bodies. And that's what he talks about in verse 11. Did you know, look at verse 11? Notice Paul says two times, God raised Jesus from the dead and the Holy Spirit who did the raising is the one I'm talking about, who has filled your life. He has, he's dwelling in you, and here's the point. I promise you, a day is coming when you will be raised to new life. You'll be given a new resurrection body. No more pain, no more brokenness, no more sickness, no more tears, no more sin. New resurrection bodies, just like our leader, King Jesus. Amen? Amen. This has come home to me as I've watched my wife suffer with cancer. And I wonder, do you feel it in your own life? Brokenness, disease, futility, the weakness of human flesh, the hardest thing about watching Kathy deal with cancer is watching someone you love suffer and there's nothing you can do about it. You just, I just sit there on the couch and I hold her hand and she just is in so much pain. It's, it's painful, right? Last week, we were sitting on the couch. Kathy was, she was kind of uncomfortable and she grabbed, she reached up, she she put her hand in her hair and she put her hand through her hair and when she looked down, her hand was full of some of her hair, okay? And I was like, that, that took me over the edge because when I was dating Kathy, I would stick my head in her hair. I would smell her hair. It's creepy. It's weird, I know. But I, her hair, just her hair, it's, I love her hair so much. And I thought, oh, babe. And we knew, 
This is a part of chemo. It's a part of radiation. It'll grow back. I know. But what about that moment when you're just in it and it feels, you're like, something's wrong. Do you know what? Something is wrong in the world. And there's only one solution. Jesus died on a cross to fix the whole problem. Can I tell you something? God would not create your human body just to throw it away. He's gonna raise it. You're gonna get a new one. Jesus would not die on a cross in his own physical body and then be raised again in a new resurrection body just so that you could never have another permanent, perfectly resurrected body. Your body matters to Jesus, amen? You're gonna get a brand new body. Your hair's never gonna fall out. You're never gonna be on a BiPAP machine. That's another personal story, all right? All of these problems, the brokenness, the wounding, the, the heartache, it's all gonna go away and you're gonna get a new resurrection body for one reason and one reason only, because Jesus died on a cross and you're now filled with the down payment of his Holy Spirit, his Holy Spirit, amen? And so come back next Sunday because now we're gonna talk about a little bit more about what that looks like to live that life. Will you do this? Will you bow your heads with me and pray and then we're gonna take communion together. Father, these truths, they're, they're deep. They're emotional. They're powerful. They're intense. I feel the intensity in here. It's, it matters what we're talking about. Eternity is on the line. I would be failing as a pastor to not teach that truth. This has eternal consequences we're talking about. You cared enough about it to send your one and only son to die for it. And so how we pray this morning that we would be open, open receptacles today. Father, would you open human hearts in this room this morning? Make us soft, make us humble. I know there are some this morning who are very thoughtful about their life. If that's you and the Spirit is prompting you, just respond in faith today. Jesus, fill me. Fill me with your Spirit. May I be, start the Christian journey today. I put my faith in you. how we pray for this, Lord. We love you. Thank you for the book of Romans. May we continue to come Sunday after Sunday with humble hearts, we pray. And it's in Jesus' name we pray it. Everyone said.